if you would allow me to start by referring to the end of our passage today. We read in verse 18 that then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. At the heart of this text is this great tension that we find even in our day. We find that the chaff is amongst the wheat. The chaff looks like the wheat, but it is not wheat. One is food for the body, profitable. The other is much more akin to poison if we eat it. In the end, chaff will go into the furnace and the wheat will go into God's own storehouse. That is what this passage is talking about. That although appearances may be deceiving, although things may appear, not appear to be, um, although things are not what they appear to be on this side of the grave, although many wicked and righteous seem happy and prosperous, and many righteous appear to be afflicted and suffer many difficult circumstances, it is not the final reality. Later to this evening, we're going to consider the parable of the, the, the rich man and Lazarus. And it's exactly the same message. That on this side of the grave, things might seem to be uh, unjust. Ultimately, in eternity, things will be put to a right. The picture changes in eternity. In the, the parable, or the story, that Jesus tells of the rich man and Lazarus, Lazarus is consoled eternally, and the rich man who lived a good life here on earth, is tormented for all eternity. Why am I pointing to this? Because that's what we see in Malachi's day. Some were scoffing, speaking harsh and hard words against God. Some were obeying, while the wicked were mocking the word of God is this two-edged sword. For it speaks and tells us the message of life and the message of death. It proposes for us the way of life and the way of death. The source of, it is the source of blessing and the source of curse. And today's text is meant to be spoken to two kinds of people. On the one hand... We have those who doubt or perhaps even have made up their minds that God is not just, that God is not uh, righteous. They scorn him. They ignore their claims. For these people, this text is a warning for you to consider your ways. On the other hand, this text is also for, the, for a people who does trust God. Perhaps like many of us, perhaps like the, the majority of us. We trust God, 
We hold his name uh, in the highest regard. We meditate upon him. We wait upon him. And yet, we find ourselves in this life struggling because we see that God is tarrying his settling of the accounts. For these people, perhaps the majority of us, this text is meant to be an encouragement. It's meant to be a a comfort for us to press on to trust the Lord, for us to press on in our obedience uh, uh, to the Lord until he comes and vindicates our cause. So my prayer this morning is that if you belong to the first group, those who do not trust God or doubt uh, God, that by the end of this message, God would have worked in your heart to trust him more. Because there is a warning in this passage. And it's one of those paradoxical statements of scripture. It is both a warning and a comfort. really depends on uh, which side uh, you're in, on which of these two peoples you are. But there is a warning for us in this passage. God has been listening God has been paying attention. He tells us, verse 13, that God knew the words that those wicked and those that were scorning him were saying. Your words have been harsh against me. God has been listening. He always does. That is a warning for us. God sees everything. All our life is in front of him. And we should shudder. We shudder. We, we, be, we become very uh, panicky at the thought of our sin being exposed. At the thought of our sin being out in the open. For our spouses to see, for our uh, parents to see it. We shudder at the thought of our family members knowing the, our sinfulness. Of our friends seeing all. Oh, but if we truly understood who God is his holy character, his just nature, we wouldn't shudder at the thought of a a friend or a, a parent or a family member seeing our sin. We would shudder at the fact that we are standing in front of him sinning like this. If I were to say that I have a movie here, a, a collection, a compilation of your worst sins, and your family and your friends are all here present in the congregation, and I'm saying, I'm going to show it now. You would run away. You wouldn't want your worst sins to be shown to to your family members, to your friends. You would be grossed out that they would know the deepest thoughts of your your mind. Those, Those nagging things that sometimes come across and you think about them. You wouldn't want that. But the reality is much graver than that. Our life unfolds in the presence of God like a theater. It unfolds in the presence of God like a play. He's sitting in the front row watching everything you say. Knowing your every thought. Every thought that comes through your head is narrated in this play. Seeing your every action. There's not a place that is not on stage for him to see. 
He interprets everything perfectly. Sometimes we go to plays. I remember going to a play not, uh, last year. And although I knew this play, there's some things that escape you. Some things that happen in the play that have a, uh, uh, an, a, another meaning, right? That's what makes uh, some plays really good. And it escapes you. And in someone, uh, did you notice that happening? And you go, oh, I didn't notice that. I didn't knew that that was implied in that play. That doesn't happen with God. When God is watching our lives unfold in front of him, he sees everything. He knows everything to the fullest extent. He is fully attentive. He doesn't miss one single line, one single detail. And that is our problem. There are sins are exposed before him. Not that our sins will get exposed to our family members. There is going to be a day there are sins or there before God our sins are exposed daily and there is going to be a day that we will stand before God if not dressed in the righteousness of Christ alone, we will stand before God naked in our own sinfulness. And we, he will judge us. That's what this passage talks about. That the wicked, that those in Malachi's day were affronting God, were speaking harsh words against God. They perhaps had all kinds of, nor, uh, of moral lives on the, on the Sabbath, on the Sunday. They had all the forms of religion. But on the Monday, they were speaking harsh words against God. They were insulting God. They were tempting God. They spoke evil of God. What a, what a terrible thing. They have become spiritually spiritually anesthetiated against God spiritual anesthesia you know sinfulness produces in us a, a, a kind of spiritual anesthesia where we become more and more seared in our conscience in the, the advanced stages of this cancer you don't even realize that you're speaking ill against God anymore Those who are least grieved about their sins are those who are most deep into them. The further away from God a person is, the less conscious he is of, the, of sin. And that's what we see here. They were so far away from God. They were speaking harsh things against God. And they weren't even realizing it. What, have we spoken against you? I don't even know what have we spoken against you. Again and again. They lack the understanding. They, they, they mistake the providence of God. They misunderstand it. They say it is useless to serve God. It is a vain thing. It is useless to serve God. To walk to, uh, according to his ways, to keep his ordinances, and to walk as mourners. It is a useless thing, they say. You know what this tells us? They mistake, they, they have misunderstood what it means to serve God. They thought that to serve God means that, oh, we're, gonna, we're, we're kind of bargaining with God. 
I'm going to come and serve the Lord on the Sunday because then the Lord will bless me on the Monday. That's how they thought. I'm going to come on the Sunday because I want something, something for, for the money. That's the problem with the prosperity gospel uh, churches, right? It's bargaining with God. You only serve God because you want something off of God. They were deceiving themselves. In fact, they were not keeping God's precepts at all. But, but, but even if they were, they were, they were keeping them for the wrong reason. They, they, they did not love God, but they loved themselves. They were lovers of selves. They were only doing it on the Sabbath, on the Sunday. Let me say Sunday from now on. But although they worshipped on the Sabbath, on the Sunday they were, they, they were coming to worship God, but they had nothing in their hearts towards God. That's what they, that's, that was their problem. They did not worship God. They were worshipping money or, or, or prosperity or, 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 or good standing. They say that there is no profit in obeying God. There is no prophet keeping his ordinances. They made religion to be a business, a bargain, a trade with God. This is corrupt. We serve God, brothers and sisters, we serve God. Not because of what God can do for us tomorrow. We serve God because of who he is. Because of who he is. We have that exact same attitude that Sadrach, Mezach, and Abednego had when they were faced against King Nebuchadnezzar. He, they were facing the furnace and they said, God is powerful enough to save us. But even if he doesn't, King, even if he does not save us, we will not bow down. We will not worship you. We will not worship the golden image that you have set up. Why? Because it's not about what God is going to do. It's about who God is. We fear God more than we fear you, King. We serve God not for what he gives us, but for who he is. That was the problem in the New Testament we find with Ananias and Sapphira. They brought an offering to the church for greedy purposes and they were killed. Or Simon, the magician, he wanted to buy God's power for money. And he was severely rebuked. You see, when you serve God for, for the outcome, for the profit, for whatever, maybe for you it is not the money, maybe for you it is the status or, or something else. But when you serve God for anything else of who, uh, uh, without it being who he is, for anything else, you're confusing God with Maimon. You're serving Maimon. Religion, true religion, is not about bargaining with God. It's about having a relationship with God. And again, we see they, were, they had all these kinds of formal, out, outward kind of uh, things uh, happening. They were walking as mourners. We read that they were uh, uh, fasting and they were doing all kinds of outward things. They were displaying an external kind of spiritualness, of brokenness. But actually, in, on the inside, it wasn't there. God does not want outward repentance. There are many today who boast a kind of Christian spirituality, spirituality but live 
fooling themselves. God is not impressed by appearances. God is not impressed by outward things. He sees the heart. I'm sure if we were in Malachi's day and you'd look at their worship on the Sabbath to the untrained eye, to the undiscerning eye, you would say, looks perfect to me. They're really good on, 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 on their worship. The song, the music is amazing. The, the preaching is very uh, uh, compelling. All of it looks so, so brilliant. I'm sure if, that was the, if we were there, we would say that they, they were a very orthodox kind of uh, church, a very orthodox kind of people. But yet, they were not. They only had an outward form of religion. It was mere formalism and not true, true heart brokenness. So what, so what we, do we learn from this? What do we see from this? That God is not impressed by our outward acts of spiritual <laughs> religion. God is not impressed by our outward acts of brokenness. God is not moved by our beautiful hymns if they don't if they don't come from a, the heart. God does not accept beautiful forms of worship on a Sunday if on a Monday we replace those words in our mouth with blasphemy, with harsh, hard words against God. God does not accept our worship if we walk in a way on Sunday, but then we get to the Monday and we, we walk in adulterous ways, in blasphemous ways. Ways. The real test for our authenticity on a Sunday is our earnestness on the Monday and on the Tuesday and on the Wednesday. The test of our genuineness today is our faithfulness tomorrow when no one else but God is looking. They were, they were saying all kinds of harsh things. Let's just quickly go through them because I want to get to the second part. They were saying that the wicked are really happy. Are they? That the wicked are blessed. That the proud are blessed. They say. Are they? Are the, the proud really happy? Do you know their hearts? Have you forgotten about the future judgment I suppose God is asking them? Have you forgot that I'm going to come and settle the accounts at some point? On the other, that on the other side of the grave, there is weeping and gnashing of teeth for all eternity for those who have rejected God of, the, the grace of God? They say that the, the, those who do wickedness are raised up. That those who do wickedness are prosperous. And this is not something that is new in the, in, the, in the days of Malachi. Throughout scripture, 
we see that this is something that believers have often dealt and, and struggled with. And the problem is current in our days as well. We look outside and we see the wicked. We see unholy people uh, being put in positions of power, uh, having influence and having the, the glory and the, and the limelight. And we think, oh, the wicked prosper. Is that how we should think? Remember that the prosperity of the wicked, the prosperity of the, 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 the unsaved, is not a, a, a testament that God is pleased with them or that God is smiling upon them. It might be quite the contrary. Because ultimately, what they are accusing God here, that even those who tempt God go, go free, is untrue. God's judgment might seem to be tarrying at times, but it's not because he is, uh, because God is lazy or, 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 or anything like that. It's because God is long-suffering. He is patient. Just because God does not always come and deal with a transgressor at the moment, at the instance of their transgression, it doesn't mean that God will not deal with them. Quite the contrary. There is a time where God will overturn the way of unbelievers. It is not true that wicked escape unharmed. All throughout the history of, of, of the world, we see that God deals with sin in time, in his time, and that he will ultimately deal with it in the judgment day. The fall of Adam, God dealt with sin. With sin. The flood, God dealt with sin. Sodom and Gomorrah, God dealt with sin. Even the captivity of Israel, just a few years before Malachi came to prophesy, even the captivity of Israel was God dealing with sin, was the wicked being punished. The wicked will not escape God's judgment. For behold, the day comes. You read in verse 1, For behold, the day is coming, burning, First one of chapter 4 of Malachi. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. And all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. That will leave them neither root nor branch. This is the kind of people that God doesn't want us to be that we should avoid to be a murmuring people a murmuring people who speak harsh and hard words against him who worship him on, on a Sunday but then on a Monday are completely indistinct indistinguished But I told you this is a message for two kinds of people. And I do want to bring some encouragement to you this morning. The kind of people that we should be. 
from verse 16 to verse 18, we read the kind of people that we should be. The people who, is God, who, are, uh, who are godly, verse 16, who meditate upon his name, who remember his name, who how the word here for meditating is not the, the common word that is uh, usually translated as meditate, uh, Psalm 119, for instance. The word for meditating here is the word for revering the name of, of the Lord, for hallowing the name of the Lord, to use our Lord's prayer. It is a, a, the kind of people that meditate and that instead of speaking harsh words against him, know that meditate in a way that lifts up the name of the Lord in our uh, esteem and in other people's esteem. We are to be a people who fear the Lord. Then those who fear the Lord spoke to one another. They are people who encourage one another. Probably the people in Malachi's day here were speaking harsh things to one another, discouraging one another. But the, the faithful ones here, the, 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 the remnant here, are speaking to one another. Encouraging one another. And that's what the Lord calls us to be. And there are four promises in this passage. Four rewards or four promises that we are given here. If you're a believer, these four promises are yours in Christ Jesus. First of all, verse 16 is that the Lord listens and hears. Verse 16 says, For those, Then those who fear the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. And the Lord listened and heard them. Earthly monarchs, earthly kings, especially in those days, but even to this day, they keep a record of those who have done good to them. They recall the names of their faithful servants. And likewise, the Lord of lords, the Lord of hosts, he keeps a book as a memorial of those who are his. Of all those things that are done. And that's the reverse side of the coin, isn't it? I said in the beginning, of the warning that God sees everything. If you're an unbeliever, God seeing everything. That is a terrifying thing. But if you're a believer, if you're someone trusting in the Lord... For the Lord to see everything, that's the most comforting. That's the most comforting truth that you can hear. God sees everything. God sees you suffer. God sees your service. Your service that no one else sees, whether it be in, church, in, church, in the church doing something, or whether it be outside, a cup of water given, the Lord Jesus said, a cup of water given in the name of Christ, will not go unrewarded. Why? Because God sees everything. Because God sees everything. He records everything. So it is not useless. It is not useless to serve God. It is the most profitable thing that you can do in this life. It is the only thing that matters really. All the other things will be uh, stubble in the furnace. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. 
It is not useless to serve the Lord. It is the parable of the prodigal son. One of the sons was serving his father slavishly. Out for self-profit. One of the sons, the older one, was doing everything that he, that he should be doing. But he was doing it out of, the, uh, of the, the wrongness of his heart. The other, although he wasted much of his life with prodigal living, the younger son, when he came to repent, when he came to his to realize the goodness of the Father, he just wanted to serve the Father for who he is. He recalled to his mind, he understood the love and the care of his Father. He said, my Father's daily workers, not even the, the lowest of the low of society that work for my Father, they have plenty and enough to eat. I'm going to go back to him, humble myself before him, and I'm going to plead his mercy. The older brother's attitude is indeed one of that service is useless. That's what he said to the father, wasn't it? I've served you all these years and you've never given me nothing. It's useless to serve you. The younger son, he realized that he did not want the parties. He did not want the worldly parties. He was content with having his needs supplied. He was content with having food on the table. The younger son was one that when he realized the father's character and truly understood who the father is, is one that was saying, where else should I be? Where else can I be if not with my father? Why would I want to do anything else but to serve my father? The Lord tells us, second promise, first that he listens, or first promise that he listens, second that he remembers, and third that he spares. We are told that he will spare us, that he will spare us as one, as a man spares his own son who serves him. If we who are evil love our children and give them good gifts, how much more God. He has already given us and gives us with him all other, uh, he has already given us Jesus and with Jesus he gives us all things. Psalm 103 says that as a father pities his children so the Lord pities those who fear him. While the wicked will be like stubble thrown into the furnace, the righteous will receive a new body, a new name, a new uh, homeland. We will be clothed in white. We will be crowned and received into the kingdom to reign with Christ eternally. We will be spared all pain, all suffering, all tears, all mourning. And will be spared the eternal death. But I think there's something more about the sparing of God here. And if you would allow me, I know we're getting uh, advanced in time. Let me draw a practical point here. God not only spares us eternally, but God spares us presently as well. God does not only spare us eternally, 
The despairing of God is present right now, right here. You might say, yes, I hear what you say. But you don't know the suffering I'm in. You don't know the evil situation that I find myself in. You don't know that this burden that I have upon me in my life now. It's easy for you to say that God is spares uh, Christians even presently. But you don't know my situation. I don't need to know your situation. You are to trust the Lord. You are to trust that even this present chastisement that he is bringing upon you. Is, it is but a small evil from the real punishment that you would deserve. Do not allow a present severe chastisement to persuade you into doubting his mercy. Do not blaspheme God. Do not judge him to be, uh, 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 to be unjust with uh, dealing with you. Do not say harsh words about him. Let me give you an example. You might find that the present evil that you're under or the present circumstances is very hard to handle, but you need to remember that God is sparing you from much greater evil. If you are about to drop off from a cliff into your death, and if someone ran to you and held you by your hair, not allowing you to fall down, it would be painful, wouldn't it? Someone holding you by your hair. Would you count that pain as being a, an evil thing? No, you would say, do not let go. I don't care about that small pain. I just don't want to fall into this death. I just don't want to go into this greater evil. Sometimes, God sends our way some of these chastisements. Not because he is displeased with us. Not because... He is, uh, his wrath is upon us, not because he's forsaking us. If we are his in Christ, all the wrath has fallen upon Christ. All the wrath that was coming upon you has fallen upon Christ. All the forsakenness that you deserve, Christ took upon that cross. So the evil that you're going through in this time, those Crooks in the lot, like the, the old Puritan used, used to say. Those crooks in your lot are evil. I'm not denying that they are hard. But they are sparing you from greater evil. And you are to trust the Lord always. Fourth promise. That God will reward. That God will reward. They shall be my jewels, he says, on that day I may, that I make them my jewels. We are, brother and sister, you are God's inheritance to the Son. You are God's treasure. You are the apple of God's eye. This is all what the Lord says about us in Scripture. You're God's delight. He delights in you. He takes all his pleasure in you. In that day, while the wicked will perish forever, 
He, we will be God's special treasure. While the great harlot is cast into the lake of fire, we are the bride of Christ in the marriage supper of the Lamb, entering into that marriage feast. While great Babylon collapses, the new Jerusalem is descending from heaven. And while the wicked will face torments of hell, the righteous will be in Abraham's bosom. While the wicked will rise to judgment, the righteous will rise to eternal life. While the wicked will be cast into the lake of fire, the righteous whose names are in the book of life will enter heaven. While the wicked will hear, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. The righteous, those who have trusted Christ, will hear, come, you blessed of my Father, enter into the kingdom. On that day, the accusation of the wicked the accusation that everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them, that the proud are blessed and the wicked are raised up. On that day, all these lies will be put to shame. So let me say this in conclusion. Who are you, really? In which, which of these two groups are you this morning? God promises, not only in, just in this passage, but in, throughout Scripture, that it will come a day where he will deal with the ambiguity of having chaff amongst the wheat. That he will come to deal with it. When God comes, how will we, he deal with your soul? God promises that future judgment is coming. That he will distinguish that he will literally means see between the righteous and the wicked. Between the one who serves God and one who, does, who tries to serve himself of God. Who does not serve him. Who are you? Is it worthwhile serving God? It is. Nothing else in this world is worthwhile if not serving God. But the reward will not come now. If that's what you expect, you're after the reward more than you're after the, the, the rewarder. You're after the gift more than you're after the giver. In this world, you'll have many tribulations, our Lord Jesus said. In this world, we'll have many struggles, we'll face many problems, and we'll face many difficulties. Just like everyone else. In this world we'll be subject, subject to see the wicked prosper. And those who, who do evil not be punished. At least for a season. But that's the, that does not mean that it will not come. Because there will come a day where God will balance the books out. There will come a day of reckoning. There will come a day of settling the accounts a day that comes as a furnace. A day that comes as a burning fire. On that day, he will punish the wicked. And he will reward the righteous. On that day, he will show that he loves us. Because he will spare us. Not because we were better. 
going back to that passage that we read in Deuteronomy, not because we were greater in number, not because you're so likable, but because of the Son, because of Christ Jesus, because of what he did on that Calvary's tree. He is going to spare you because he did not spare his only Son in your place, if you're his, that is. On the day of judgment, he will spare you and give you the kingdom because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did. Therefore, our happiness is future. We can have joy now, but our fullness of joy is in the future. We are, we are to see ourselves in this world as our forefathers so often spoke as pilgrims in this land, as sojourners in the wilderness. As those who look up to the heavenly city to come. Is it worth worshipping God in difficult times? In times of oppression? In times of hardship? The, the answer is a resounding yes. Yes, yes, yes it is. It is always worthwhile worshipping God and serving Him. With all, your, with all our might, with all our mind and strength and power. Because His love for us is measured by the deliverance that He will give us. For He has, set, for he has set Christ as our Redeemer. So I close where I began. Which group are you in? Are you among those who hold back from commitment to God? Because you suspect, suspect because you doubt? If so, consider the promises of God this morning. He will vindicate his people. He will, wrong, he will right every wrong. And if you come to him in repentance and faith, he will spare you as a man spares his own son. May the Lord grant us to understand these words and to live.